Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Batman doesn't fear anything but maybe a recession. I don't know. Indiana Jones doesn't fear anything but snakes. That's right. And I don't fear anything but heights. And I don't just fear heights for me, but but like for my whole family. Like I am not standing anywhere near a cliff and neither am I letting anyone in my family near a cliff. I mean, I will never take my kids to the Grand Canyon, ever, ever, ever. Enter my son, Drew, my oldest, who likes to toy with my phobia. And incidentally, he's the reason I won't take my family to the Grand Canyon because when Janice and I drove him to Arizona for college, we stopped at the Grand Canyon on our way. And as we crested the ridge of that mountain and started the small descent to the, to the edge, to the actual cliff, I turned to Drew and I said this to him. I said, Drew, you're an adult now, so I can't tell you what to do. I can't control you, but I can control me. And if you horse around when we get to the ledge, I'm gonna turn around, I'm gonna walk back to the car and I'm gonna miss out on the beauty of the Grand Canyon because my heart can't handle you horsing around on the ledge. And he was like, dad, dad, don't worry, it's okay. And, and when we got to the edge of the cliff, to the scenic overlook, that turkey climbed over the safety fence and acted like he was gonna scale down the side of the canyon. And so I turned around, I walked to the gift shop and I sat in a rocking chair they had for sale and I waited for him and Janice to come back from the scenic overlook. I hate heights. Like I am that afraid of heights. Now, the reason I warned Drew up front not to do anything crazy at the Grand Canyon because, well, the Grand Canyon wasn't our first rodeo. (laughs) A year before, Drew and I, we were in Africa on a mission trip, and one day of the trip was designated for us to go on a safari. And as we were riding to the game preserve, we were driving along the Great Rift Valley, which is is, kind of like the Grand Canyon. It is so big, it's visible from space. Unlike the Grand Canyon, the Great Rift Valley runs in a straight line. It goes all the way from Israel, all the way down into Africa, into Kenya, into Tanzania. I believe it's the longest valley on the planet, and it's deep and it's wide, and our tour guide asked us if we wanted to stop and look into the Great Rift Valley, and, and we were like, yeah, sure. And so we get out of the vehicle and we start walking and it's about 100 feet away to the ledge. And like I said, I'm not afraid of anything but heights. And so I'm not as eager as Drew to get to the ledge. And when he arrives at the ledge, I'm about 30 feet behind him and he stops for a second. He turns around and and he looks at me and he smiles a wicked smile. (laughs) And he turns back around and he jumps off. And I'm pretty sure my heart stopped beating. It turns out about three feet down, there was a rock protruding a couple of feet out of the cliff face on which he landed. And then he turned around and he smiled at me again. And so I turned around and walked straight back to the vehicle. (laughs) About 10 minutes later, he gets into the vehicle and he's like, hey dad, what happened? Why didn't you come on out? Why'd you go back? And I proceeded to tell him all the ways he could have died when he made that jump. But I was kind of impressed with his courage and I was like, son, 
I mean, weren't you scared to do that? And he was like, oh yeah, but it was so worth it to see the look on your face. <clears throat> like I said, I, I hate heights. When, when I'm on the edge or, or, or ledge of anything, my knees feel like jello and my breathing gets short and my heart palpitates and my hands start sweating. It's, it's a legit physical reaction, a phobia for me. And and so we moved here last year, and pretty much the first thing Pastor Gary says to me is, Matt, we do this awesome hiking trip every year along the Appalachian Trail, and it's so great, and you've got to go, and you are going to love it. And I'm like, in the mountains? And he's like, yeah, it's beautiful, it's great. And I'm like, are there any cliffs we have to walk along? Any ridges we have to scale? And he's like, nah, it's just trails up and down the mountains. And I'm not about to tell him I'm afraid of heights at that point. And so I agree to go. And the thing about Pastor Gary is he will mostly tell you the truth. <laughs> and mostly the 45-mile hike through the mountains was just beautiful. And, and there were a few places where I was kind of nervous, especially on some of the declines. But what he said was mostly true until three days into the hike. The trail takes us right up to a tall rock face. Like we're on this trail and we're walking, it just runs straight into this rock wall. And it's, it's just like the trail dead ends right then and there. And I'm wondering what we're supposed to do now. And then I see this little white arrow pointing up. And it's painted on the rock face. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Because, I mean, we are already way up in the sky and we're at the top of this mountain but to get over the ridge to the other side we have to climb and I'm talking scale the face of the rock scale the rock face with a 40 pound backpack full of camping supplies no safety equipment no climbing equipment and I've only got two options right I can hike days backwards alone like a coward or I can climb over the ridge I mean there's really only one option if I'm going to retain my dignity and so I grind my teeth and I start climbing and it's 15 or 20 feet straight up to the ridge. But when we get to the top, we don't just climb back down over the other side like I was hoping. No, we have to stay on this ridge, which is only about eight feet wide. And the further you go, the sheerer, the farther the cliffs on both sides are. And we're on this ridge for a couple of hundred yards before we can climb down on the other side. And I get to the top and I, I'm like, again, are you kidding me? And I'm just standing there and I'm looking down this ridge and my knees are knocking and my body's shaking and my hands are sweating and I'm telling myself, just do it. Just start walking. Now that you're here, just lean into it. Well, today we are leaning into week number two of a three-week sermon series called Cannonball going all in with Christ and his church. And in this series, we're unpacking the, the essence of who we are as a church and what we believe Jesus calls us to commit ourselves to, to walk into, to fully lean into without reservation. And let me remind you of the big idea for this whole series. A great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment makes a great church. 
Our mission, the mission Jesus gives to us, to his followers, to every believer, and to every network of believers is to be a great commission, great commandment Christian, and to be a great commission, great commandment church, a great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment make a great church. And so here's what we're doing with this series. Last week, we dove deep into the great commission in Matthew chapter 28. This week, we're diving deep into the great commandment in Matthew chapter 22, and next week, we'll discover what a great commitment looks like for Matthew chapter 16. And here's where we landed last week. We asked, what does it look like to be a great commission, great commandment church? What does that look like? And here's the answer. We said, it looks like a cannonball. It's not just, well, okay, here we go. Let's just kind of lean into it. No, not like me on the mountain. No, it looks like a cannonball. It looks like all in and making waves. It looks like unabashed, relentless, unapologetic. Last week, we said junior high boy level energy given to living out the great commission and the great commandment together as a great church. Our commitment to Christ and his church and his mission should look more like a cannonball than anything else, that we are all in and we are making waves. Well, today in particular, I wanna challenge you to go all in on the great commandment, to make waves by loving God and loving people lavishly. Let's open our Bibles to the great commandment, Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Here's what it says. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Well, these verses are located within the Passion Week, which is the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. And we learned last week that Jesus had many followers early on in his ministry, but not throughout his entire ministry. Once his teachings became too difficult for them to stomach, they abandoned him, even though they'd been wowed by his previous words, even though they had seen his incredible miracles. Once they realized his message didn't meet their particular tastes, they were out. And for most of his remaining time, he and his disciples kept a lower profile. That is until shortly before his death when he raised his dear friend Lazarus from the dead in a clear and undeniable miracle. And at that point, nearly all the crowds came back to Jesus and in such massive numbers, he was seen as an imminent threat by the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman occupiers, both of whom began conspiring together and looking for reasons to execute him. Which brings out the various political and religious parties, such as the Sadducees, to meet with Jesus, hoping to find dirt on Jesus, or at least trap Jesus with his words. But verse 34 says he silenced the Sadducees. 
And so in verse 35, there's another party, another political religious party, the party of the Pharisees, and they tried to trap Jesus with another question. The question was, what's the greatest commandment in the law, in the Bible? And Jesus replies to this trap question with two answers, not one, as well as one really important spiritual truth. But the motive for this question may have not been limited to merely trapping Jesus, but also turning the crowds against Jesus. The truth is, many of the Jewish people at that time, if you study history and theology, you know they were essentially divided into three groups over which religious laws were the most important laws. Some thought the law of the Sabbath was the most important. Others thought the law of circumcision was the most important. And there were still others who thought the sacrificial system or the laws of sacrifice were the most important. And each of these groups represented a different political party. And so if Jesus picks any one of these three options, two-thirds of the crowds might turn against him, which would make it much easier to arrest and crucify him. Much to the dismay of the Pharisees, Jesus didn't take any of the three sides. Instead, he moved the conversation to another topic entirely, and that was to the topic of love. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Loving God is the greatest thing you could ever do. And the word love in these verses in the Greek, it's the word agape, which doesn't mean emotion, it doesn't mean affection, it doesn't mean passion, but it means consideration. To say I love you with agape love is to say I consider you first. I hold you up the highest. I even hold you above myself. And if you think about it clearly, that's exactly how God loves us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave up the most valuable thing. He gave his one and only son, the creator of the universe, the author of life, the absolute power and authority over everything considers us even before he considers himself. Can you try to fathom that for just a second? God looks at you, at us, at people, and God says, I love you more than anything else. He says, I hold you up the highest. And that's so insane to me because think of all the things in creation that God must love. And he says, I love you more. And that's crazy to me because, well, because I know me. And I know the the ugly in my life. And I'm just trying to get my head around a God who says, still, I love you more than anything else. I mean, who... Who else does that? He knows our sins. He knows our struggles. He knows our fears. He knows our failures. He knows our weaknesses. He knows all those secret things we try to hide from everyone else. He knows it all. And yet he says, I love you more than anything else. I hold you up the highest. I consider you before everything else. The message of the gospel, the good news of Christianity is God saying to struggling and sinful people, I'm thinking about you, I'm looking out for you, I'm going alongside of you, I'm taking care of you, I'm holding you up high, I'm reconciling you to me. That's the way God 
loves us. And that's the kind of love Jesus called us to give back to him that we, with all of our being, our hearts, our souls, our minds, that we would put God first, that we would hold up God the highest, that we would consider God even before we consider ourselves. And you know, Jesus could have said that and he could have just dropped the mic right then. Like after saying that all their theological and political debates really didn't matter. But what mattered was loving God. That would have been the perfect opportunity to just walk away. But he didn't. To make it clear that the most important thing is love, he knocked their debates down another notch by saying, and oh, the second greatest thing, none of the things you guys are talking about. No, the second greatest thing is still love. Verse 38, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Incidentally, Jesus didn't pull these commandments just out of thin air. He pulled them out of the Jewish law, out of the the Torah. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Leviticus 19.18 says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. We are to love God and to love people. And these two commands of Jesus, they are are so important, they are so great. He says in Matthew 22.40, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands which means all the other civil laws and all the other religious laws and all the other spiritual laws and all the other, yes, political laws found in the Jewish law were designed solely to empower the devoted to do two things, love God and love people. That at the end of the day, even if we don't get anything else right, but if we get love right, then we get it all right and then everything else will be all right. And love looks like holding God up and holding people up above ourselves, considering him and considering them before us. We love God and we love people first and foremost. Or as we said earlier, we love God and we love people lavishly. Because the truth is, we will only make waves when we learn to love God and love people lavishly. You can't do agape love unless you do it lavishly. Now, the word lavishly means elaborately, extravagantly, generously. It it, it literally means you spend freely and you don't hold anything back. It's the reckless kind of love we just sang about a few moments ago. It's like you put yourself out there. You put everything on the line. You do not hedge your bets. You're willing to risk everything. You don't hold anything back. It's, it's, it's kind of like a cannonball. You go all in, in the deep end. Many of you know the story that Jesus told. It's often referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. It's in Luke chapter 15. You probably know the story but you might not know the true meaning of the word prodigal. You see, the word prodigal means one who spends lavishly, freely, even recklessly. To be prodigal means that you spend everything. Luke chapter 15, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said the prodigal son spent everything on wild living until he ran out of money. 
But Pastor Tim Keller, in his book, The Prodigal God, makes the crucial point that the son who spent the father's wealth wasn't the only prodigal in the story. No, the, the father was a prodigal as well because when the son realized the error of his ways and returned home, his father ran to him with love and immediately, what did he do? He started giving him gifts. Give him the finest robe, put a ring on his finger, kill a calf and cook it, let's celebrate. And that was a risk. I mean, this father, he, he put himself out there, potentially get hurt again to be taken advantage of again, to be rejected again, but he did it anyway. Why? <laughs> because he loved his son. The prodigal father loved the prodigal son lavishly, and Jesus tells us this story to illustrate God's love for us, that God too is a prodigal, that he too gives freely. I mean, just think about it. Through Jesus, God put himself out there for us. He put everything on the line. He didn't hedge his bets. He risked everything. He gave up everything for us. God coming to earth as Jesus, total cannonball move. He loved us that much, lavishly, generously, unabashedly, without reservation. And if God loves lavishly, and if we are called to love like God, then we too love lavishly. The great commandment is to love God by placing him above everything else and to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's not about emotions. And it's not about affections, certainly not about passions. It's about considering the things of others and the needs of others above our own. In a word, it's about generosity. If we're gonna love God lavishly, then we'll be generous toward God. And if we're gonna love people lavishly, then we'll be generous toward people. We will live our lives with open hands, ready to give away not with closed fists, ready to take away. The call of this sermon series is a call to cannonball, a call to go all in and to make waves by fully committed, committing ourselves to the great commission to make disciples of all people and to the great commandment to love God and to love people lavishly. And the reason we're able to commit to these things as a church is because of your generosity. You've heard me say this before, and I will say it again for years to come. God fuels the mission and the ministry of this church through your generosity. The C in our ABCs of discipleship, that's our path to spiritual growth at FCC. The C stands for contribute sacrificially. People who follow in the footsteps of Jesus will contribute their time and their talent and their treasure to their church and to their community. And right now, more than ever, we need you to cannonball the sea. And so that's our takeaway for today. It's real simple, cannonball the sea. That you would go all in, that you would make waves by contributing sacrificially to the ministry and the mission of our church and that you would cannonball the sea lavishly. To agape love is to serve lavishly and to give lavishly and to watch God respond lavishly by bringing hope to our community. And that hope 
That's what we want people to find when they come into this place and into this fellowship. We want people to find hope. Hope for our community. Hope in Jesus. We love lavishly to bring hope to the single mom struggling to pay her bills and to bring hope to the couple desperately wanting to have children. We love lavishly to bring hope to the addict fighting his brokenness and to the immigrant struggling to find her new life. We love lavishly to bring hope hope to the student feeling alone and rejected and to the teacher who just wants to make a difference. We love lavishly to bring hope to the woman who has broken her wedding vows and to the couple on the verge of divorce. We love lavishly to bring hope to the family whose home was flooded and destroyed and to the widower who's overcome with grief. We love lavishly, we give generously to bring hope. Hope in Jesus, hope through Jesus, hope because of Jesus. We love lavishly and we bring hope because that's what Jesus has done for us and that is the very thing he has called us to do. Would you pray with me? God, help us to be a great commandment church before we'd ever debate or divide over doctrinal or political issues that we'd embrace the most important thing, love. That we would love you with all of our being. We would love others lavishly, generously, perhaps even a little recklessly as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.